Well, beloved, what a semester uh, this has been. I want you to know that I am continually uh, grateful to be a part of this ministry and so thankful the Lord has allowed me to come back. I got to tell you, there were some days there that I wasn't sure I was ever going to leave my little cottage again. But lo and behold, God has brought us through such a deep season in our life and has given us such a fresh new uh, joy uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ as we're walking through these days. This will be my last time to teach you. Next week, Donna will teach, and then we'll break for the summer, y'all. Can you even believe it? I mean, this has just gone by in a blink to me. And uh, so I, I, I just want you to know that every time I come up to my last session with any group, and I started teaching uh, in women's ministry, actually when Bellevue was still downtown, 1990 we moved out here, I've taught almost every semester with the exception of one that I took off and then took off uh, for my cancer journey, but I'm telling you this is what God's given me to do and I absolutely love it, but I always come up on this last one and I'm thinking, oh Lord, did I tell them enough, did I give them enough? Did I teach them everything they needed to hear? Father, did I give them enough so that they will carry them through the summer, bless their little hearts, until we can get them all back here together in the fall? And it is the exact same feeling that I had when I launched our oldest off to college. Jason went to Mississippi State. And uh, I've got to tell you, the night before he left, I was just wrestling with the Lord. Did I tell him enough? Did I give him enough? Did I put enough Jesus in him to carry him through these years of college? Lord, did I, uh, did I, did I teach him enough practical stuff so that he can live well out there on his own? Lord, did I do enough? And I had the same feeling this week. I'm just going to tell you already. I know I cannot get through my whole lesson. I just put a lot in there that I hope you will look at. You young moms, wait six, seven. Seven years. I know you're busy with babies, but I, I just hope you'll look at it sometime. I wanted you to have these uh, nuggets of truth that I found, but um, I, I can't. I, I, this always happens uh, when Jason came home after his first semester for the weekend, or excuse me, he was moving back in for the summer to work with his dad. And uh, when he arrived home with all of his stuff from his dorm room, I said, son, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? And he said, oh, no, mom, I ate a pizza with my buddies uh, before I drove home. And I said, oh, great, you had a little pizza party. And he said, well, really, mom, we bought it yesterday, a meat lover's pizza. And we got up this morning, and as we're packing, we realized we had left it out of the refrigerator. And he said, we discussed it. And we decided to be fine. And I remember thinking, I did not teach him everything that he needs to know. And so I have just been struggling with that as I have prepared. And like I said, uh, Donna is a more disciplined teacher than I am. She covers her notes. She sticks on her notes. She stays on them. But that is not what happens with me. I can get all over the page, and it, I know it concerns some of you greatly. But anyways... Beloved, the good news is we are free in Christ Jesus. We, yes, yes, we are free from sin, from Satan and self. Our life in Christ stands in the vicarious, atoning sacrifice of the cross, the finished work of Jesus, and the victory displayed by an empty tomb. That's where we stand today, beloved. A bloody cross, an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. 
and he is working in and through all of us that know him so that we might live a life that honors and glorifies him and a life that testifies of our love for the Lord Jesus and his ability to do great and glorious things in our life, changing us from glory to glory. But, beloved, while the abundant life in Christ is available to every believer, it is not automatic. We must keep standing firm in the freedom that he has wrought for us. And today we're going to see how to walk free, how to walk by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means to follow the Spirit's lead. It can be translated, let us walk in step with the Spirit. It speaks to dailiness, the rhythm of daily living. And beloved, I've got to tell you, when we commit to go out into the deep things of the Lord with him, get out of the shallows and move into the deep things, he will begin to groom this life to testify of the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing I want you to look at, if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 16, 16 through 18, the first thing I want you to see is what I call the fight. Verse 15, excuse me, um, Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for those who are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The first thing I want you to see is the fight. We as believers have three very real enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our former pastor, Dr. Adrian Rogers, had this saying that I always loved. He said, the world is the external foe, the devil is the infernal foe, and the flesh is the internal foe. Beloved, you and I have within us remaining, even after our conversion, this thing called the flesh. Now that is what primarily Paul is speaking to is the flesh. The flesh can be described as the indwelling principle of sin. And that is the part of us that loves to satisfy our indulgences, the most base indulgences of our nature. So today Paul is talking to us how we can walk in the spirit and not indulge the deeds of the flesh. Beloved, the flesh cannot be redeemed. It cannot be rehabilitated. It cannot be restored. It must be crucified. Donna taught on this several weeks ago that we must crucify the flesh dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Paul says walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Here's a quote from Dr. Rogers' sermon, Victory Over the Flesh. He says the flesh means a leftover free disposition to sin that we have from our father Adam. That is, we're all born in Adam and in Adam all die. It is in all of us, all of us, beloved, have missed the mark. We have all sinned. It is the carnal desire of the lowest part of our nature. The Bible calls that the flesh. And he said, I will tell you this morning that if the world were to evaporate and the devil disappear you still have the potential 
to sin because of this monster that lives within us. When I first was saved, I was working at the time in a small office. And I've got to tell you, I was a terrible employee. I, I, I'm just a terrible employee. I, I didn't like to work, and I didn't want to work, and I didn't, well, it wasn't my best, it wasn't my best work. But anyways, I got saved during that uh, time. And I remember I so wanted to influence those people for Christ. And I probably handled it badly, but I was sharing my testimony and so forth. Well, it wasn't too terribly long after that that Craig and I found out we were expecting our first child. And I was a brand new believer. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to quit work. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to have this little baby, and I'm just going to raise him up in the Lord. And everything that's annoying me, I'm leaving behind at this job. (laughs) Well, you know, it didn't take 24 hours to figure out that I took home my worst enemy, and it lived within me. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Beloved, you and I as believers are operating either in the energy of the flesh or the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no middle ground. Let that just sit on you for a moment. You're either operating in the energy of the flesh or you are operating in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And Paul declares that when you and I are walking in the Spirit, the flesh has lost its sway over us. John Phillips had this great quote. You know, he's one of my very favorite commentators. And um, he says uh, this about the flesh. Because the flesh, beloved, let me make this comment, is so exceedingly deceptive that it can, uh, it will can that it is going to attempt to trick us into indulging our base nature. But if that does not work, it will dress itself up. We call that pretty flesh. And John Phillips said this, if the flesh is not allowed to indulge its repulsive side, it will indulge its religious side. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, we're all groaning over that. It will dress up in its Sunday best. It'll go to church. It'll walk the aisle, submit to baptism, sing in the choir, teach a Sunday school class, indulge in good works. It will sing, pray, and take communion. It will wear a hair shirt. It will fast, deprive itself. It will carry a Bible and go on visitation. It will go to Bible school and seminary and get ordained into the ministry. It will write articles for Christian magazines, and it will review books. It will even become a missionary. There's nothing that the flesh will not do. It is the great doer. It will persuade us that all of this doing is just what God wants. It is just another way of putting us under the law. Amen? Amen? So the flesh is either despicable or clothed pretty flesh in religious activity. So in summary, he's telling us that the victory over sin is not a result of strict adherence to the, uh, to the law because legalism, beloved, is little more than behavior modification, attempting to control the flesh with externals. This proves not to work for very long. When we attempt to control the flesh by sheer willpower, it is like holding a beach ball underneath the water. You can do it for a little while, but then what happens? Your arms get tired and poof, that thing comes up in your face. 
And what happens when we attempt to control the flesh by sheer willpower is that it will eventually be revealed that we are doing it in the energy of the flesh. And that generally produces a disproportionate response to an unrelated situation. You hold that thing down, you hold that thing down, you hold that thing down. Other people look, think, oh, she's holy. She is looking so good over there. She is so holy. And yet, when that thing blows up, you will, you will jump on somebody, your husband or your children, and you will tell them a thing or two. In fact, you will have been collecting data for weeks now, just, coll- <laughs> you know, just ready to go uh, right there. And so the flesh, beloved... The flesh must be crucified, must be crucified. We don't need hypocrisy. We don't need legalism. We need to die to our flesh. Take up your cross every day and die to self, die to self. I remember one time years back that I had gotten all dressed up to go to a family event. Now, this was back in the day when I wore pantyhose. Now, you young girls, you don't even know what they are. (laughs) You call them leggings. But we wore pantyhose. And a good southern girl wore them every time she went out the house. And we also wore dresses all the time, all the time, dresses and pantyhose. Well, on this particular occasion, I was going to wear a pair of wool slacks. Now, I only got my wool slacks dry cleaned every so often. And so I put on a pair of slacks that I had worn the week previous. Only worn them a couple of hours, put them right back on. And so I've got myself all dressed up. I've got my uh, good slacks on. I've got my nice sweater on, hair and makeup, jewelry, all of that. (sighs) I'm all done. And at our house... We do not have a full-length mirror. And uh, so, you know, you have to, you have to go like this. Uh, and, you know, you're good. And so I head out all dressed up to my event. And I get to my event, and something is dragging along behind me. And so I go to the restroom, And there is a pair of pantyhose (laughs) that had obviously been stuck in my leg. And it has wrapped itself around my ankle. And with every step, I'm dragging pantyhose. Now, I want to tell you, this is a look no one can carry off. No one can. The flesh, beloved. We can get ourselves all dressed up. But when we look down, the flesh is strangling our ankle and attempting to take us down. So what Paul is saying is if you want victory over sin, you can have it. But it's not going to come as a result of trying to keep the law. It comes from the power of the living God indwelling us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he basically is saying. So that is what I call the fight. Because he said this battle is going on within you. The the flesh is warring against the spirit. Now I want you to understand that the flesh and the spirit, although they both are alive and operating in you right now, 
They are not equal. Do you understand that? The Spirit of God is infinitely more powerful than the flesh. The problem is the Spirit whispers in a still small voice and the flesh yells like a spoiled two-year-old. I want that. I want that. I want my comfort. I want my way. And I think if I could just get this person out of my life, I could have my way. That's how the flesh uh, operates. This battle is going on in between us. Now, I just want to stop and mention my hair. (laughs) I want to thank Donna Gaines for my hairspray that is called Helmet Head. And I used it today, and I dare say I could stand in a gale force wind of a hurricane, and my hair would look just like this. I may have sprayed plastic out on my hair, I'm not sure, but I believe I heard the ozone sigh this morning. As I told you, I think if a little is good, a lot, a lot will make you feel way better. So helmet head it is. Okay, the second thing I want you to see is what I call uh, the flesh, the flesh. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. We're going to read through 21. Uh, For the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, for the, yes, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these things are in opposition to one another so that we may not do the things that we please. But if you are led by the spirit, You are not under the law. Verse 19, he's going to list the deeds of the flesh as if we needed any help recognizing it. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of of anger, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that. Even Paul is saying this is not a complete list. Things like that, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we have seen Paul strongly denounce the error of legalism of which the Judaizers were promoting. And now he will address the other extreme, and that is license. Beloved, on the path of righteousness, which is a narrow path through the narrow gate, there is a ditch on either side. One is legalism, trying to control the flesh with externals, trying to keep all the rules and regulations, totally impossible to do. The other is license that says, if it's grace, do whatever you want to, it's just fine. I want to tell you that neither of those are accurate perspectives biblically we have been called into liberty but that liberty in Christ does not mean we can live any old way we want to it means we have the power to live how we ought to do you get that do you get that that beloved that is true liberty and he says if you get in this ditch you're after legalism you get in this ditch well that's license and I will tell you there are a generation of Christians coming up uh, that believe you can simply live like the devil you can live like the world you can live any way you want to and simply allow grace to cover it that beloved 
is license. That is license. We're called to liberty in Christ. Liberty in him. And so Paul is addressing that tenant of faith. And he contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. Now the flesh is cunning and wily. It is enticing us to indulge in our base appetites. It is wholly evil. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, In me there dwells no good thing. That is in my flesh. No good thing. It is totally beyond redemption. And ultimately, one day when we see Jesus face to face, the flesh will remain behind. We are not taking it to heaven. There will be no sin, no propensities of sin in heaven. And hallelujah, I think most of us cannot wait. Well, we're all familiar with the flesh, even though uh, Paul gives us that list. Because we've seen it, right? There's been days when we've been crossways with everybody. When we just get up, y'all, y'all... Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When, when we just get up and we're not sure who we're mad at, but uh, we're pretty sure it's everybody. That is the flesh within us. And beloved, it stinks. It absolutely stinks. I've told you this story before, but it's just so fitting I couldn't resist. And that is that um, when, uh, you know, we live out there in the country and it's a long winding drive. Once you get off the interstate, it's a long winding country drive with no shoulders. And so frankly, I hardly ever pass anybody because you can't see it's hilly and, and so forth. So on this particular day, I'm driving to the little cottage and there is a sedan, a big heavy car in front of me. Now, they're not driving the speed limit even. And so I'm not in any hurry. And so rather than pass them, which is really not my habit, I just simply drop my speed down and I'm just following them out. And it's just a, a lovely afternoon and everything's beautiful out there. And I'm just enjoying the drive when all of a sudden I look up and that car has slammed on its brakes. So I hit my brakes to see what the deal is. I couldn't see around it to see what had happened. And just about that time, I saw that car, and it straddled a skunk. Now, it didn't hurt the skunk, but it made it awful bad. And so I was coming up on that skunk, He was standing in the middle of the road. I knew I could straddle him, but just as I got close to him, he turned and he made eye contact with me. (laughs) And he was not happy, and I saw his tail come up just about the time I began driving, straddling over him. And I knew instantly he had sprayed underneath my little car. At that time, I drove a little Honda Accord low to the ground. I I, I knew I had caught the, the brunt of his anger. And so I had the air conditioner on. I quickly turned the air conditioner off. And when I... When it all happened, I went, because it startled me so. I rolled the window down. None of this was smart. This was not best because this stuff was airborne. And it the stench, I just got to tell you. And so as I'm trying to drive home, my eyes are watering. And the smell, it is in my hair. It is on my clothes. It is in my little car. And so when I finally did get home, I had rolled all the windows down trying to air out my car. I parked well 
smell away from our little cottage. I didn't want that smell up in there. And when I got out and closed the door, I'm not kidding, the, the stench was just horrible. And when I finally did get to the door, Craig looked up and he said, what has happened? I, I, I don't know how many showers it took or how much mouthwash it took, but it was a while before I could get that smell out. And I just remember thinking as I was trying very hard to get that smell off of me, this is the flesh. This is an illustration of the flesh. This is how it operates. It sneaks up on us. And if we're not careful, the stench of it gets on us. And it poisons our words and our attitudes. And it doesn't take much to push us into that place. Now recall that I said the spirit and the flesh are warring, but the flesh is calling us up to righteousness and holiness. And the, the spirit of God, excuse me, the spirit of God is calling us up to righteousness and holiness, but he does not yell. He speaks to us in a still small voice. He will not force himself on us. Unlike the flesh that is loud and brash and will not let up until we say, that's crucified. That's crucified. I'm alive in Christ and I'm dead to that, dead to sin, alive to Christ Jesus. That is how we are to operate. But it's so easy, beloved, to step into the flesh, isn't it? It's just so easy to. Uh, sometimes a person will annoy you. Sometimes your spouse or your little children will annoy you. Sometimes in-laws will annoy you. Sometimes just going about the day, everybody seems to annoy you. You go to check out and they're not very pleasant. And Well, that's kind of the way the flesh operates. It just seizes on those moments, if we're not careful, to push us into a bad humor. And that translates into the flesh. Translates into the into the flesh. I was out shopping and I went into this darling little boutique and I'd shopped there before and I knew that the owner was a strong believer. And so I had gone uh, over there looking for a chain to put some initials on that I had bought from her. And um, when I went in, uh, she had on a necklace with her initials. And I said, oh, I got some initials just like that. And I wanted to get a chain. And this is what she said. She said, um, I have it in a 16 or an 18 inch. And she looked at me and said, I have on the 16 inch. And this is what she said, but then I have a very thin neck. <laughs> now, I know she did not need to be offensive, but I felt something rising up. Within me. She said, what do you want? And I said, a 16-inch. <laughs> me and my chubby neck, we want a 16-inch. And I thought if the 16-inch necklace kills me, they can bury me with it all. <laughs> now, there's no way that woman meant anything offensive at all. It was just a comment, but I am telling you, it's very easy for you and I to suddenly step into the flesh when things do not go our way. And frankly, God orchestrates a lot of times that things don't go in our way. So we can learn how to put the flesh to death and live according to the Spirit. Well, I'm going to have to move on. My time is fleeting. Uh, let, me, let me check on my time. Oh, yeah, it's fleeting. Just... <laughs> Just wanted to, wanted to check that. 
Now, he goes on to say in this passage, I forewarned you, look in verse 21, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice these things are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what he's saying here is it's possible for a believer to momentarily, temporarily get pulled into sin. That's possible because of the flesh that dwells within us. However, for those who are engaging in this type of behavior full-time, if this is the habitual pattern of their life, they have no reason to put confidence in any decision they've made for Christ because it is not a genuine conversion. Now, a word of caution here. These are strongly worded passages. Paul has been strong with the Galatians. He's called, he said, who, who bewitched you? You guys are amazing me. What is wrong with you people? I taught you better than this. And you just turn around and go back? What's wrong with you people? But a word of caution here. These strongly worded passages often lead us to step into a role that is not ours, that of the role of judge. Paul did not give us this list so that we can look at someone else's life and say, well, I see a problem here, I see a problem here, I see a problem here. He gave us this list that we might look unto Jesus and let him testify if those things are present in our life. There are two other passages, one in 1 Corinthians and one in Romans, where he also does lists of, of uh, the fleshly behavior. But the point he is making is this is not for us to judge others. This is for us to judge ourselves. Judge ourselves. It's very dangerous when we look at someone else's life, especially when we're just getting a little snapshot of that life. And determine they don't belong to Jesus. Because only the Lord knows the heart. And if you and I are to judge someone, let's say on their worst day, we're going to come to the wrong conclusion. When we were raising teenagers, when our, our guys were teenagers, I heard Dr. Rogers say that with all four of their children, when they hit the teenage years, Every one of them, they wondered if they were genuinely saved. <laughs> if you're a mother of a teenager, you understand what I'm saying. And I was thinking to myself, I look at my teenagers sometimes and wonder, have you learned anything? Have you gotten anything I've been pouring into you? It doesn't look to me like you have. Maybe you don't even know the Lord. And the thought came, they look at my life, and if they catch me on a bad day, they probably wonder as well. If indeed it is genuine. We don't judge others, especially not on their worst day. We're quick to judge others and not quick to judge ourselves. Because if we're going to judge ourselves, we're going to have to come real before the Lord. And let him show us what is in our heart and in our life. Well, enough about that. Let me go on to the fruit. The fruit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. We've done the fight, the flesh, and the fruit. Y'all, that's a clever illustration. That, I mean, an outline. That's a good one. That's a good one. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And may I say, we have to continually crucify the flesh. It is not a once-for-all-time thing. Wish it was. 
Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Let's talk for a moment about the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice here the word fruit is in the singular form. F.F. F. Bruce said this in his commentary on Galatians. The single form of the word fruit stresses that these qualities are a unity like a bunch of grapes instead of separate pieces of fruit and that they are all to be found in all Christians. In this they differ from the gifts of the Spirit which are given one by one to different people as the church has need. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And let me just tell you, it's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ. You put this all together and you will get a glorious picture of who Jesus is. And what Paul is saying is if you're a follower of Christ, if you've learned how to crucify the flesh, be dead to sin and alive to Christ, then he will manifest his fruit in and through you. We cannot, we cannot create our own fruit. It's done by the Holy Spirit as he works in us as we yield to the Spirit and as we walk in obedience to the Word of God. When you and I are obedient to the Word and dependent upon the Spirit of God, God is able to produce beautiful, nourishing fruit in our life. We have to abide in the vine. And when that happens, beloved, it catches the eye of unbelievers and it ministers grace to the body of Christ. So that's what he is saying is to be part of our life that we live and love and operate in such a way, beloved, crucifying the flesh, being dead to sin, being alive to Christ, and letting him do his work in and through us. It's a long process that began at the moment of conversion, and it will not be complete until we see Christ face to face. In the interim is this thing called sanctification, where God is testing us, uh, uh, not tempting us, but testing us to reveal to us what is in our heart and our mind. Well, um, M. Anders wrote this in one of his commentaries on Galatians, the struggle between our flesh and our new nature is real. Yes, it is. Yet, there is more truth to help us win this battle. Paul explains that those who know Christ Jesus do not have to respond to the flesh because they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This crucifixion refers to our identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. When Christ died, our flesh was judged. This does not mean that our propensity to sin has been eradicated or rendered inoperable. But we can't, we must accept that our old nature has died with Christ and that as new people we have an increasing power to resist sin through the death, burial, and Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us the spirit of the living God. And we, beloved, have the unbelievable privilege of having the spirit of God in us producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. There's no law against any of those things. And when others see Christ in us, 
they are drawn. They think she couldn't have done that on her own. What is up with that? And that, beloved, is how God uses us for the glory of his kingdom. I love to hear you ladies laugh. It's something I will miss terribly throughout the summer. Because it always reminds me that we who know Christ, we're the only ones who have the right to joy. Oh, the unbelievers can know some happiness here, there, and yonder, but joy springing up, bubbling up, those fruit of the Spirit, that Spirit of God is working in our lives. Craig and I went to Rwanda a few years ago, and uh, we spent the first three days we were there teaching with pastors uh, way up in the mountains. I mean way up. So we did that for three days, and we were going to come down the mountain into the main city. We were going to spend a night and day there resting, and then we would start up with another uh, teaching time. Well, we drove for seven hours on some mountain roads that I, I've never in my life seen anything quite like it, uh, and, and switchbacks so tight um, that I just, it just was unbelievable. It was a very long, a very long uh, day. So we finally arrived there, and we got into the main city, and our interpreter and driver said that there was a pastor friend of his that wanted to meet us, and he wanted to, us to stop at a particular gas station so Craig and I could meet this particular pastor. And we said, we'd love to do that. And so we did. We met the pastor. He spoke broken English, and so he was trying to communicate with Craig and I. And through our interpreter, we were all talking there together, and he was welcoming us to his country and so forth and affirming us for what we were over there doing. And so I thought I understood in his broken English that he said his wife was coming later to the hotel to meet us, but she hadn't been able to come with him. So they take us on to the hotel. They get us situated. We're in our room. I'm starting to unpack. Now, most of the um, hotels that Craig and I stay in when we're there because we usually are going out into the villages. Most of them don't have air conditioning, and it is extremely hot. We just get used to it, and or we sweat a lot is really what we do. It kind of alarms the people over there because they don't seem to sweat. But anyways, we're in a room, and there's no air conditioning, and I'm telling you, it, the air is just still and hot, and Craig and I are just worn out. And so Craig said, honey, while you unpack, I'm going to the front desk, and I'm going to see if they have a fan. If they have a fan, I'm going to see if they'll let us bring it to our room so we can at least sleep under the fan. So Craig leaves. I'm still unpacking. There's a knock at the door. I open the door, and there's this beautiful African woman, beautiful braids, so attractive, big smile on her face, well-dressed. And I think to myself, this is the pastor's wife. And so when I opened the door, she said, hello, madam, which is their, uh, often is their greeting. And I said, oh, hello. And I threw my arms back. And just as I went in for a great big old hug, I saw fear on her face. And <laughs> she was trying to back up. But y'all, I had already gone in for it. I mean, it was there. I, I couldn't pull up. I could not pull up. And so finally, when I let her go, she said, Madam, I am Clementine from the front desk. (laughs) Okay, then. Okay. The whole time we were there, we were there for four days. Every time Clementine saw me, she would start backing up against the wall. (laughs) 
And then she would start bracing herself, like, come on, come on, these crazy Americans. Well, here is the deal, and I'll close with this. The joy of the Lord, it ought to fuel us. It ought to bubble up inside us and spill out on everybody we come in contact with. Oh, they ought to see the love we have for the Lord Jesus and for one another. We ought to see the, they ought to see the peace that passes understanding operating in our life. They ought to see the joy of the Lord who is our strength. They should see kindness and patience and goodness and faithfulness and above all self-control. No law against those things. Well, beloved, it is the Real honor my life, i got to tell you, to be a part of this ministry and get to come week by week and share God's word with you. I love you all very much. I wish you a wonderful summer, and I pray that we'll all be gathered back together next fall. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we bless you and praise you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this study in Galatians. We have learned so much about how to operate in the power of the Spirit, how to refuse legalism, how not to get sucked into license, but how to walk in the liberty of Christ. Praise God. Praise God. We are free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your sweet name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. God bless you.